So you ready to receive the word? Yes. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that as your word comes forth, your word has power. Your word brings life. Your word brings direction. Your word brings correction. Your word brings uh, your spirit, Lord God. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come and minister. Remove any scales from our eyes and any, anything that would hinder us from hearing so that we can hear your word, see your word, and Lord, loosen our tongue that we might speak your word and our feet that we might walk in your word. We pray that your will be done here in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. How many of you from Texas? Anybody here from Texas? Okay. Anybody here ever been to Texas? Anybody here like the Cowboys from, from Texas? <laughs> no, come on now. Come on. Okay. Well, there was this, you know, I've got some friends from Texas and they talk about Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas, right? Everything's bigger in Texas. Well, this Texan ran, uh, rancher, he just uh, finished his big estate uh, that he built there in this ranch. And he built, put in one of the biggest pools, he said, that was ever in Texas. And uh, so he invited all of his friends over, and he was going to have a big uh, cookout and everything. And he gathered them in the, inside the ranch and, and the house, and he's telling them about this big pool that he's just done. And he said, I want you all to come out back and see this pool. So they go out back, and when they walk out back, there is one of the biggest pools they've ever seen. But he has it filled with some of the biggest crocodiles that you could ever imagine. Now, I hope it wasn't the water wasn't as green as this water here. But, uh, you know, that it was just filled with crocodiles. And he said, I've got a challenge. He says, anyone who will jump in this pool, swim across it, I'll give them $10 million or I'll give them title deed to this ranch, whichever one they want. And while he's saying that, splash! He hears the water splash and he turns around and there's a man swimming and navigating through these crocodiles and he gets across to the other side so the Texan gets him when he comes out of the water and he says, wow, I really didn't expect anybody to take me up on my offer. So which do you want? Do you want the $10 million or do you want the title deed to my ranch? The man says, well, first of all, I want to know who pushed me in. I'm going to deal with him first. Why in the world would the pastor tell that story? Sometimes we have to deal with things in our lives and in the Word of God that gets us into waters that we really don't like to get into. And we may need a push. So I'm here this morning and I'm asking you, are you ready for a push? Because I'm going to push you into some waters that we need to get into that will be grateful, will be a great benefit to you, but you probably wouldn't get in it by yourself. Are you ready for a push? Yes. That was a weak yes. That was really weak. Okay. This morning I want to introduce you to a biblical character. His name is Ahithophel. Is not one. Anybody in here named Ahithophel? Anybody in here ever? You named Ahithophel? Oh, okay. Anybody in here got a child named Ahithophel? Anybody in here want your child to name your grandchild Ahithophel? <laughs> His name means son of folly. He's the one that is just like he's got a kick me sign on his back. And it's like, because I'm such a foolish person, you just, I deserve for you to just kick me, okay? So it's not a really good name to have. But let me give you a background for this man. 
He was a wise man. He was a very important man, very influential man in King David's administration. So we're going back to King David over Israel. And here's this very wise and important man. Let us look at the scriptures and give us some insight into who he is or who he was. 2 Samuel chapter 15 verse 12 tells us, Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor. So he is one of the king's counselors. And he's from the city of Gilo, where, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. So we see here that Ahithophel was one of David's closest counselors that he leaned on for godly advice. Now we see in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. When this man spoke, it was like he spoke straight from the heart of God. It says, so was all the advice of Ahithophel, both for David and with Absalom. He was a counselor of King David which means he was trustworthy, he was valued, he was close, he was intimate with the king, he was really one of David's closest friends. How do we know that? Well, in Psalms chapter 41, David is writing this psalm and it's a result of a conflict that he has with Ahithophel. And he writes in verse 9 of Psalms 41, even my own familiar friend in whom I've trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. How many of you know when you get close to people and you eat together and you spend time together like that, that that kind of pain, if there's any type of, of, of rejection or conspiracy, that kind of pain hurts a lot worse than it's someone you don't know. Amen. The enemy will always use the people closest to you who has a weakness. He will play on that weakness to cause you pain. And as long as you are short-sighted and think you're fighting flesh and blood, the enemy will win. You've got to realize that the enemy we're fighting is spirit. And our weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the, not of man, but of God, to pulling down these strongholds that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities and these powers and these rulers of wickedness in high places. So here's Ahithophel, he has wisdom, he's so highly esteemed that his advice has the authority as being a word from God. He's like, this man, he hears straight from God, and he spoke with such integrity. There is no doubt that these two men, David and Ahithophel, really respected each other. David tells us in Psalms 55, verse 12, he explains the relationship more graphically. Look what he says. He says, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me. If it were, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it is you. It's you. A man, my equal, my companion, and that word in the Hebrew means my, my guide, the one that I go to for advice, you're my coach, you're my mentor, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. In Hebrew, that means we've had close talks. That means we've talked about, so I've shared with you things I've never shared with anyone else. That's how close we are. That's how much I trust you. 
And he says, and we walked to the house of God in the throng. In other words, we went to worship together. We've stood side by side with our hands lifted and tears dripping off of our cheeks, giving God glory and honor and praise. He said, we worship together. Wow. And if that isn't enough to be called a friend, you know what? Then look closely and see that it goes beyond that because in 2 Samuel 23 and 8, David lists his 37 of his mighty men. And look what he says in Psalm, uh, uh, 2 Samuel 23, verse 34. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite, one of David's mighty men that he brought in and trained and gave special forces to and special resources to, and he went and fought with side by side was Ahithophel's son, Eliam, his mighty man. Wow. Something worse than murder and adultery happened to Ahithophel. And it destroyed the special relationship that he had with David. I want us to look at it in depth. I'm pushing you into the pool today because we need to deal with this. Second Samuel 11 and 2, the Bible says that it happened one evening as David rose from his bed and he walked on the roof of the king's house. You remember the story? And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? This is Ahithophel's granddaughter. Right? The daughter of who? Eliam, his mighty man, one of his mighty men. And it's Ahithophel's granddaughter. So what happened next? Well, you know, then David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and lay and there uh, she returned to her house. And then later she sends word that she is now pregnant. He has committed adultery with her and she's conceived David's child. So, so Uriah's out fighting on the front line. So he brings Uriah in from the battlefield so that he can have some R&R. But he is so committed to his brothers that are still out fighting that he says, how can I have pleasure like this when they're out there, you know, right there with death pending at any moment? So he sleeps outside and he will not even go to his wife. So David can't cover it up that way. So he sends Uriah back and Uriah goes and he tells his men, put him on on the front and then pull back the ranks and leave him out there basically to be slaughtered by the enemy. Wow, what an evil, evil plan. And uh, we see that that took place and Uriah, the Hittite, he died. You know the rest of the story. Uh, David receives a visit later on uh, from Nathan and uh, the prophet. And he comes in and he says, there was this very wealthy uh, shepherd and, and uh, rancher. He had everything and, and, and he got so greedy that he looked over it and saw this one little small guy and he had this little tiny lamb. That's all he had. But he, he went over and he took that lamb as well. And, uh, and David says, you show me the man and I'll make him pay. And, you know, he gets all in his righteous, self-righteous uh, king's, king's role. And Nathan says, thou art the man. Thou art the man. And David's eyes are open to see exactly his sin. And, you know, that child that was conceived died and, and all of this. And thank God David fell on his face before God and he asked God to forgive him. And you know what's so great about God? He forgave him. That's what's so great about our God today. He is such a forgiving God. 
I don't know what you've ever done, what you've failed to do that He's called you to do, or what you've done that He told you not to do. The good news is, if you will humble yourself, repent, and you will come to God, He is a God who will forgive you. He is a great God. Hallelujah. So David was forgiven, and you would think that would be the end of the story. But because Ahithophel did not respond the way David did, that's not the end of the story. He refuses to forgive what David has done. He's like, God, you may forgive him, but I'm not going to forgive him. David has sinned against you, God. David has, has defiled my granddaughter. David has killed my granddaughter's husband. David has betrayed our friendship. David has taken advantage of his position. David, you, you're greedy, you're selfish, you're murderous, and you've hurt me deeply, and I refuse to forgive you. Ahithophel had a hard time dealing with what David had done. Some of you are here today, like myself, that we've experienced things in relationships through life that the enemy has hurt us deeply and the enemy has taken it and turned it and twisted it in such a way that it's caused a lot of pain and we can identify with Ahithophel. I, I, I can understand the emotions that he was experiencing. These emotions were real. They were very deep and, and David was absolutely in the wrong. Wounds from someone you trust and admire seem to hurt so much more. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But as the story goes, the proverbial axe does not fall on David. The proverbial axe falls on Ahithophel. And the reason why, the Bible tells us, is because he refuses to forgive David. Unforgiveness has pushed him to seek justice. This unforgiveness has, has pushed him to make David suffer for his sin, for David to learn from his lesson and to teach David what it means that this is what's going to happen when you mess with my family. Man, have you ever felt those emotions? Have you ever had those thoughts? And that unforgiveness does not relent. It does not let go. It keeps pushing you forward and forward and forward. So now Ahithophel, he is the advisor of the king. He is the one that hears from God and shares with him, this is the strategy, king, I think we should take for safety. Now he is conspiring against David and he's joined in with Absalom, David's son, who is trying to oust his dad and take over the kingdom. And he's giving wicked, wicked, wicked counsel to see David suffer. He wants David to feel pain. You've caused me pain. I want you to feel some pain in return. He wants David to get a dose of his own medicine. I'm using this terminology because that's probably how we feel as well. He even wanted to kill David. Ahithophel had an IOU on David. That's what unforgiveness says. I have an IOU. I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to make you suffer. But guess what? Does his unforgiveness hurt David or does it hurt himself? It doesn't hurt David. See, unforgiveness is like you taking poison, poison again, and hoping it's going to kill the person you got unforgiveness towards. And the poison hurts you. Many times, the ones you're holding unforgiveness against, they don't even know, they have a clue, or they don't even care. And they've gone on with life, they ain't even thinking about you. But yet they are all you think about. Wow. Here's Ahithophel's reaction. And uh, this is what being consumed with bitterness and consumed with unforgiveness will do. Look at 2 Samuel 17 and, and uh, verse 23. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey. He arose and went home to his house, to his city. He put his household in order. Oh my. And he hanged himself. 
and die. And he was buried in his father's tomb. And if he had an epitaph, it would read something like this. Here lies Ahithophel, the man who refused to forgive. Look at the tombstone at this slide here. There it is. I, I, here lies Ahithophel, the man who refused to forgive. Let me tell you what bitterness demands a victim. It will always demand a victim. It's, the, it, it's something that you and I must take into heart because we were created in the image of God. And because we were created in the image of God, we were not created with the capacity to hold on to unforgiveness. We were not created with that. And when we do, the enemy takes control and will demand a victim. And the victim, most of the time, is the one who holds the unforgiveness. He couldn't get even with David, so he said, I'd just soon die. I'd just soon die. And he did. He did. Did you know suicide has become a national epidemic here in America? It is the 10th leading cause of death here in the United States. Each year, it claims nearly 45,000 Americans, and that's the ones that they're sure that that's how it happened. There's one attempt every minute, over half a million attempts a year here just in America. That means within the next hour, 60 teenagers will attempt suicide and 20 of them will succeed. Only eternity will show us how many suicides are directly related to unforgiveness. I'm here to tell you what my mom used to tell us. And I don't know if your mom or dad ever said this to you, but when we would go in the store, Mom, I know you're watching, I love you, and I use your stuff all the time in the sermons, and you watch and you call me and you say, Son, why did you use that one? Let, let me use this one. Do I get a nod? Yes, I saw that nod. Okay, here we're going. So, <clears throat> amen. We would go in the store and we would go pick up something, and she said, No, it costs too much. She didn't even know what the top price tag was. So that costs too much. And uh, we'd go over here and we'd just be kind of just looking at something, you know. We wouldn't even pick it up. We'd just kind of looking at it. And he said, no, get away from there. That costs too much. Everything costs too much. Well, I'm going to take mama's phrase, it costs too much, and tell you today that unforgiveness costs too much. It is one of the most costly things that will ever strike from you. And you must make a, mind, a, a decision in your mind today to say, no more. I'm not going to allow this atrocity in my life. Let me share with you some of the costs that unforgiveness will demand of you. First, here it will cause you social suicide. There will be a social death. There will be a social destruction in your life. You can't be close to family without forgiveness because if the enemy's strategy is to use the people closest to you that has a little weakness and to use that weakness to rub you wrong so that you can take offense and now let bitterness, the root of bitterness grow up, let me tell you what, he is already destroying families. There are no perfect families. And look in the mirror, you're not perfect either. You have a weakness and the enemy will use your weakness, whatever it is, to hurt the person closest to you if you're not a disciplined person. And you can be disciplined and just have an off day. And the next thing you know, you've said something you know you shouldn't have said. And thank God we can quickly go and ask for forgiveness and turn that thing around if we're not too prideful to do so. But the enemy's strategy is to use that. So what happens is there is a social suicide because you can't be close to family without forgiveness and you can't be close to friends without forgiveness and loneliness will set in. And God said when he made man that there's one thing that was not good and that was that man being alone. 
Let me tell you what, social suicide will set you up on an island all by yourself where you've got this person's hurt you and that person's hurt you and that person's let you down and that person's turned on you and that person didn't deliver what they said they would deliver on and you've just, you've just let every one of them, uh, the enemy use all of that to cause you to isolate yourself and now you're socially on an island and loneliness, let me tell you what, and depression will come in. There's another cost, and I call it emotional suicide, where you cannot experience lasting joy without forgiveness. When you lose your joy and get depressed. See, you, the enemy knows how to deflate your balloon. He knows how to keep you from soaring above the treetops. Do you know, Pastor Deacon and I, we've, we've always had this entrepreneurial thing going on. We just can't help it. It's in us. We got married, and, and one of our first ventures, we said, we've got to have a little side thing going that won't interfere with ministry. we just got to do something. And we found this lady selling a hot air balloon in Richmond. And we got the pictures and the information. We're going into the hot air balloon business. Hallelujah. We're going to take people up at sunrise and sunset. There's going to be proposals and all this stuff. They can drink sparkling grape juice. We weren't going to let them drink wine and uh, all this good stuff. And we're just going to have a good time. And uh, so we're going and I'm going through the authorities that be the, to try and get my pilot license and everything that needed for that. And they laughed at me. And they said, sir, do you not know why there are no hot air balloon business? Because that was one of my selling things. There's none here. And man, all the tourists, they come here every year and all we'll have, this thing will be lined up on Saturdays. It'll be, man, he says, do you know why there's no hot air balloons here? And I said, why? He says, we have wind. We have uh, wind that we don't expect will come blow you out to sea. You lose these people. It'll be, you can't do this. So I said, no, I'll put some poles in the ground and I'll have cables and, and I'll let it be ratcheted up to a certain height and then ratcheted back down. And they're laughing and showing me this balloon laying over on the side, dumping the people out as the wind is blowing. <laughs> wow. What do you need in order to get a hot air balloon above the tree lines? You need, you need that gas burning, the heat that fills it, the healing that takes it up. But you also need that balloon to be able to hold it in. Because if you were to shoot it full of holes, it would fall and never get above the tree lines. Do you know when you hold unforgiveness, it opens up avenues that the enemy comes in and he begins to steal, kill and destroy in your life. And he steals your joy. He steals your joy. You cannot be a joyful person if you have unforgiveness. The enemy will refuse to allow it to be so. Even though the joy of the Lord is our strength, you won't have the strength of God in His joy because the devil will come and steal it right from you. Another loss will be mental suicide, which I call is that living your life uh, without peace. Unforgiveness robs you of that peace, that shalom of God, where nothing is broken and nothing is missing. When we fail to forgive, our peace is drained out and our mind is confused and controlled and destroyed. It, it is a horrible, horrible place to live. I see people like this all the time. The Bible says that if you take up a root of bitterness, uh, you know, take an offense, that uh, a, spirit, a, a, a root of bitterness will spring up and, and it will destroy you. And that, that offense in the Greek word for offense means a bait in the trap or the shiny thing. It's the peanut butter or the cheese on the, on the mousetrap. That's what an offense is. It's bait. Satan gives us the bait to try to get us. 
And one of the best pictures I've ever given, and I've said this thing many times, but it was these hunters that would go into the jungle and they're trying to kill these monkeys for dinner and, and they couldn't get through the trees as the monkeys were so agile and, and the brush was so thick and they're trying to run and keep up and get an arrow out and they could not get any dinner. And they learned that there was a weakness of these little monkeys, that they were very, very curious on little shiny things. So they took a, just a wrapper from chewing gum uh, you know, and that little shiny aluminum foil and put it in a, a hollowed out coconut that had a little hole and they chained that coconut to a tree. And the monkey would come to the coconut with his curiosity and look in and when he saw the shiny thing, the bait in the trap called the offense, and he stuck his hand in and he took hold of the offense, he could not get his hand out. And as he could not get his hand out, and being that the coconut was chained to the tree, then he's bound there, and the hunters would just go up with a stick, and this graphic, but that's what they would do. Destroy them. All they had to do is turn loose of the offense. Same is true with us. I see the enemy coming in, and I see this emotional, mental, and social uh, suicide taking place, and it's where the enemy, where we refuse to let go, and the enemy just comes in and destroys us, and he takes our peace, and he takes our joy, and he's beating us down, and we're depressed, and we're isolated, and we can't figure out how to get free. you got to let it go. you got to let it go. There's also moral suicide is one of the causes. It's when we refuse to forgive, we lose integrity. Do You don't realize this, but when you walk in unforgiveness, other people fear you. Other people see that there's, a, there's something about you that, that doesn't allow for mistakes, that doesn't allow for the fallibility of mankind, and we all know we're fallible. So, so they begin to pull back and won't get close to you, and they'll build up a wall. They distrust you because your integrity is lost. Hebrews 12, 14 says, pursue peace with all people. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. We are to pursue peace with all people and we're to pursue holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. So you can go on with this lack of peace in these relationships and you're not going to see the Lord. It's going to keep you from the divine destiny God has from you and keep you out of the paths of holiness. It says, look carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. The grace of God is there. But don't you be fooled that the grace of God is going to cover your rebellion against God. No! You will fall short of the grace of God lest the root of bitterness spring up causing trouble and by many become defiled. It also causes what I call spiritual suicide. Spiritual suicide. When we refuse to forgive, we tear down the bridge by which we ourselves must walk over every day. See, it's not long until the reality of God's forgiveness gets lost in the fog of our bitterness. When we walk in unforgiveness, we lose the ability, we lose the sensitivity that God is a God that forgives and we come under a life of condemnation. Because unforgiveness clouds our reality of God's forgiveness with doubt and suspicion of God because we got doubt and suspicion of everybody else as well, even ourselves. My, what a destructive life. Did you, you know, I told you somebody had to push you into this pool, right? But we need to be here. We need to hear this. We need to understand that, that, that with uh, unforgiveness, it costs too much. It also costs us what I call physical suicide. 
physical suicide. When we refuse to forgive, at best we have a poor quality of existence. Our stress levels run extremely high. Our bodies break down. Our immune systems break down. Disease sets in. Infirmity comes in. Sickness comes in. Oppression comes in. And the enemy is having a heyday in our bodies. We were not created to carry unforgiveness. We were created in the image of God. And when we hold on to unforgiveness, it causes our body to break down. It opens the tunnel to hell and the enemy, the tormentors begin to come in and they begin to do in us exactly what the devil does. Kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said with His own lips, if we refuse to forgive, that we would be turned over to the tormentors. That's what Jesus said. Now, it's not that Jesus is carrying us over to the tormentors and turning us over. What it is, is we're opening up the door because of our unforgiveness and we're allowing these, these spirits of infirmity and these spirits of destruction and these lying spirits and these stealing spirits to come in and we can't figure where the rats are coming from. And we want to find the source so that we can shut it up. Well, the source is unforgiveness. We must deal with it. Dale Carnegie, he goes to Yellowstone Park and he tells the story that while he was at Yellowstone Park, he's looking out over the meadow and there's a grizzly bear eating what looks like some campers had left some, some uh, food out or something like that. And he's just studying that and he's like, wow, no other animal. Look, there's deer, there's all these other animals, there's dogs, there's all these, but no one dare go near that bear. He's getting that meal all to himself. And he said about that time goes waddling across the meadow is a skunk. And the skunk walks right up to the bear and Dale said, I'm looking to see the bear's response. Is he going to growl? Is he going to stand up on his hind feet? Is he going to take that big paw and swipe him across the head? You know, he says, I'm just wondering. And, uh, and he did nothing. He did nothing. So Dale said, I asked the park ranger, why is it the bear is allowing this skunk to eat with him just so peacefully? And he says, the, the ranger replied, he, the, the bear learned many times back that not getting along would cost him too much. Okay? Friends, the cost of unforgiveness is too high. I wish it were just a spray from a skunk if we were to unforgive. Maybe with tomato sauce and tomato juice and, and some Clorox and all, we could finally get the smell off of us. But the cost is even greater than that when we hold unforgiveness. So you asked me this morning, Pastor, this is serious. I mean, you're dealing with a... I mean, Pastor, you're usually the encourager, the coach. you got us up on our feet shouting and saying, yes, praise God. You're dealing with one of those subjects today that's got us sitting here going, oh, me. So what's the answer, Pastor? Well, listen, you, you really don't need another sermon on forgiveness. And, and you don't need probably another counseling session on forgiveness. And you don't need a clock for forgiveness because, you know, the old saying, time heals all wounds, that's not true. I've seen people that, that when I've counseled with them at 60 years old and, and they're holding on to something that was done when they were 8 or 9 or 10 years old by an authority or figure in their life and, and, and they've not let that thing go and they've not let that person go and it's destroyed their marriage, they're in their fourth marriage and it's destroyed their relationship with their kids, they have no relationship with their kids and it's destroyed their health and they're telling me all their problems with their health and, and it's destroyed their relationship with their employer and they don't have a job anymore and, and it's all going back when they were 8 and they're 58 and I'm like, wait a minute, that was 50 years ago, and that person's dead and gone. But the cost of unforgiveness is too high. 
It costs too much. Amen? So I'm not saying another sermon's going to fix it. I'm not saying another counseling session is going to fix it. I'm not saying time's going to fix it. But I know one thing that will fix it. And I want to close on a high point that this point today is what we need to hear. That there is power in what I'm about to share with you. There is a power created by God so because God knew what we would be going through walking on the dusty roads of this earth dealing with relationships. He knew what we would feel. He knew how it felt. And He made a way. He paved a way for us to be able to release folks. And like I said, it's not another sermon and it's not another counseling session and it's not time. It's the cross. It's the cross. It's the cross. Do you hear what I'm saying? And here on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Here is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, rejected by His own. The sin of man hung Him there. Your sin, my sin. Your rebellion, my rebellion. The sin of mankind took Him and put a crown of thorns on His head and beat His face beyond recognition and ripped the flesh off of His rib cage with a cat of nine tails and nailed Him to a cross and, and put a spear in His side and tried everything they could do to kill Him and eventually killed him but while he had a last breath feeling the pain feeling the rejection feeling the hurt knowing exactly the greatest extent of what it would be to have to offer forgiveness he's hanging there in his pain not after the resurrection but in the midst of his pain on the cross where the curse can be removed he said Father forgive them for they know not what they do and it's going to take the same thing for you. That while you're in the midst of the pain, that while you're in the midst of, of the bleeding and the bruising and all of what man has done to you and what man has refused to do for you that has caused you the pain, you got to say, here, I put it on the cross. I let the curse come off of me and go on the cross that Jesus bore so that I can be freed from this curse and receive the blessing of Abraham. Hallelujah. So here's what you need to do. You need to first compare your hurt to the cross. Compare your hurt to the cross. And I guarantee you, not one of us, if we were to compile all of the things that people have done to hurt us, we could not say it even matches what Jesus went through. And remember, He had laid down His royal garments and His position and His Godship when He came here to be the Son of Man. And He's depending on the Holy Spirit to give us an example as a man depending on the Holy Spirit of what can be done. So He is doing this through the power of the Holy Spirit hanging on the cross so that the curse can come off of us because the Bible said in the Old Testament that cursed is he who hangs on a tree so he's gone to a tree so that the curse can come off of us and the blessing of Abraham come on us but he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit in human form and you and I have the same access to the same Holy Spirit welcome Holy Spirit I need you Holy Spirit and I need to get this event I need to get this pain I need to get what was done to me. I understand Ahithophel. I know how he feels. He was betrayed. It was wrong. David was out of line. It was, it was, it was a betrayal like none other. I know the feeling, but I can't live with this because the cost is too high. I can't continue to carry this. I wasn't created to carry it. It is opening the gates of hell and the tormentors of hell are coming in and having access into my life and I need to shut the gate I've got to let this thing go. Where do I put it? Jesus says on the cross. On the cross. Where are we going to deal with this? On the cross. 
Compare your hurt to Jesus as he hung on the cross and say, Jesus, you've made a way. Second thing you need to do is confess your unforgiveness is sin. You don't need to justify it anymore. You don't need to talk about it anymore. You don't need to explain how right you were and how wrong they were anymore. You don't need to do any of that. You need to see that even though what they did was wrong, you're releasing them to God. And God, God, you take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I give that to you. But as far as me, the unforgiveness I've carried is just as wrong before you, God. It's just as sinful as to what they've done. So, Father, I pray you'd forgive me you need to confess do you know there's power in confession I don't mean a thought in your mind I mean confession where you honestly tell God God I have violated your will I have wronged you I have walked in a way that has brought shame on you and I am not going to walk this way anymore I'm going to repent and I'm going to confess and I'm going to ask for your forgiveness and you know what the amazing God we serve is ready to forgive at any moment. Hallelujah. And then third and finally, you got to believe this truth, that it was your sin and my sin that helped to nail Jesus to the cross, and He forgives you. See, this will humble us when we realize that we were a part of killing the Son of God, killing our Savior because of our sin. For the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes all of us. And with these wages being of our sin being death, death was required. But Jesus stepped in and died a sinless death, which we could never do because we're born sinful, so that that sinless death could pay off our sinful account, paid in full. What a loving God. What a loving God. So as we close this service this morning, I say, let's call for a second event. I know the first event, it would cause pain. The first event, it was cruel. The first event was betrayal. The first event, it was hard. I know that event marred you. I understand that. But we need to have a second event. And we need to clear the record with this second event. An event of forgiveness. See, there was an event that caused the unforgiveness. Now we need to have an event of forgiveness. I say more uh, memorable than the event of the offense. I like in Genesis 41, 51, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for God had made me forget all my toil and all my, of my father's house. Some people say, well, I'll forget, but I'll never forget. Let me tell you what, that's a bad attitude right out the gate did you know maybe mentally you won't forget but when true forgiveness is given and you don't rehearse that thing God gives us this wonderful thing that we do override it with the good than over the bad it was about a year ago a little over a year ago we hadn't finished the upstairs and there was an event on the a campus here and there was a, a family came to that event and uh, we hadn't seen them in many 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 years and and the gentleman uh said show me the upstairs pastor I said well it's not complete it's still a lot of concrete and steel he said well let me see it so we went up there and I didn't realize he wanted to get me up there by myself and while we were up there he says you know pastor I I really have matured a lot over the years and I'm like praise God that's good and even though we haven't been here many many years uh, I've been I've been growing in the Lord and I've come to realize I did you wrong would you forgive me for those things I did 
And you know, when he said that, I tried to think and I could not remember what they were. And I said, well, you know what? Thank God. I said, brother, I, I must have already forgiven you because I don't even remember what they are. He said, well, let me tell you. I said, no, no, no. I don't want to know. <laughs> Let's do enough of that. <laughs> Let's just leave that under the blood. Hallelujah. But I literally don't remember. And I'm able to look at this brother and love him and thank God he's growing in the Lord. And, and I respect him highly that he was willing to even come and say that to me. But let me tell you what, when you truly forgive, the grace of God will help you. And what that person did may have been as horrible as what Ahithophel had to experience when David kills his granddaughter's husband and commits adultery with her and destroys their family in that way. Wow. Reminds me of a story Corey Ten, Ten Boom tells that in her book, The Hiding Place. And, uh, you know, she was in the consecration camps and she experienced, she and her family experienced death and destruction and uh, into World War II and the Hitler regime. And, and uh, her sister Betsy, she talks about seeing the pain and the, and the weakness and then the death of her and how it affected her and all of this thing. But she survived. She survived. And she said years later, she's out doing ministry. And after this uh, uh, ministry time was over, folks were coming up to her and saying, you know, uh, it, I enjoyed that so much. And you, you ministered to me. And she said, then she looked up and the next gentleman was one of the guards. The guard that stood in the doorway of the showers, watching them, humiliated, humiliating them while they were there trying to shower. And, and, and her sister, she said, I remember my sister was pale and so weak. And, and he's like, get her to the gas chamber. Get her out of here. She doesn't have the strength to, to act on her own. And how Corey Tien Boone, she said she would protect her sister. She said, this is the guy. And he's standing at this session. And she said he reaches out his hand with a smile on his face and says, man, the Lord, she says, uh, Miss Boone, the, the Lord truly spoke to my heart through you today. And she said, I went to shake his hand like I shook everybody's, but I could not move my hand. She says, I'm looking at him and I'm, and I'm thinking, why can't I lift my hand? And, and all of that pain was coming. And she realized that she's been teaching on forgiveness. She had not yet forgiven this man. And she says, I quickly said, Lord, help me forgive him. Help me right now to forgive him, Lord. Let me show the love of you to him right now because I'm preaching about you and I want to make sure that he serves you. And she said, I tried to lift my hand and I could not lift my hand. She said, I prayed again. And then she said, I prayed, Holy Spirit, I need you. Help me. Help me show this man the love of Christ. And she said, the Holy Spirit came. And she said she was able to extend her hand and a big smile and she says thank you so much and then they begin to talk about Jesus and how Jesus has changed this man's life and she says it was a transforming moment let me tell you what let your second event be better than the first event in its worstness amen and let us forgive I know each and every one of you have your story people have hurt you people have wronged you People have disappointed you. People have failed you. I know it. You and I together, we know. We know what betrayal means, how wounds feel. We know what it feels like to be abandoned and, and, and people who failed to affirm us, who needed to be there, and we expected them to be there, but they didn't affirm us. We understand that. Most importantly, though, as we forgive them, we've got to learn to forgive ourselves. 
We've got to forgive ourselves because the Bible says that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we're still holding unforgiveness against ourselves, it's going to hinder us from forgiving those who have hurt us. Anybody in here, don't raise your hand. Anybody here done any stupid things and done some crazy things, done some things you wish you had not done, said some things you wish you hadn't said? And we all nod our heads, yes. You need to forgive yourself. It's got to take place at the cross. It's got to take place at the cross. Jesus gave us that example. Would you stand with me, please? And as you stand here today, if you can see that there's unforgiveness towards yourself or there's something someone has done in your life or failed to do in your life and it's really caused a lot of pain and, and you want to make sure, you want to make sure you're not carrying that out of here. You want to make sure you're not holding on to that shiny thing and allowing the tormentors to come in and torment you. And you want to make sure, let this altar this morning be the foot of the cross for you. And by faith, I want you to come for a prayer right now. I want every one of you that will to come for a prayer and say, I'm bringing it to the altar. I'm bringing it to the foot of the cross. I I'm not carrying this pain. I'm not carrying this mindset. I'm not carrying this anger. I'm not carrying this resentment. I'm not carrying this sorrow with me anymore. I'm doing what Jesus did. I'm bringing it to the cross. This curse is going to be lifted and I'm going to leave here with the joy of the Lord filling my heart, filling my soul, and filling my life. I will. Re I refuse. I refuse to leave the door open and tormentors come into my life and my family's life anymore. I'm closing the door right now as I'm coming to the foot of the cross here the altar today and I'm going to see the work of God do a change hallelujah as we're standing here at this cross right at the foot of the cross right now I want you to see in your mind that I'm here Jesus and I am here by faith to make a second event greater than the first event that event of offense I am here at the foot of the cross I am here where you Jesus hung and said forgive them for they know not what they do and I join in with my Jesus and I release them I release that individual I release that person I release that event right now and I put it here at the cross and I say Holy Spirit give me the strength to release it give me the strength to roll this burden on you Jesus give me the strength to bring my cares and cast them upon you Lord you have not created me to carry this you have not created me to function healthy with this in my heart and in my spirit and in my mind so today I repent God I repent God forgive me forgive me for holding on to unforgiveness forgive me for taking offense Forgive me, God. Let me help me now to lift my hand and release it. Help me now to release that person. Help me now, Holy Spirit, that I will roll this burden on you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So that the curse can be lifted off and the blessing can be applied. I come to you in the name of Jesus. I come to you by the power of your Holy Spirit. I come to you in, a, in agreement and in obedience to your word and I say I forgive them now I forgive now in the name of Jesus just declare it Lord I forgive them right now I forgive them and I give it to you I give this I'm not going to rehearse it I'm not going to relive it Lord I'm giving it to you let the power of the cross let the power of the cross cancel the curse in Jesus name let the power of the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit cancel the curse in Jesus name and come on pray with me out loud our Father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom 
the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say, I'm leaving it here. Come on. I'm leaving it here at the foot of the cross. Come on, say it with your mouth. I'm leaving it here at the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name. As freed individuals, your joy, I'm telling you, in that vacuum of that thing being gone, I'm telling you right now, the joy of the Lord is filling it. The joy of the Lord is filling it. That smile is going to come across your face like you've not smiled in a long time. I want you to turn to somebody right now and show them that smile. And go ahead and give them a big hug and a handshake and a high five and say, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Amen. 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 Glory to God. May God bless you as you go into this day in Jesus' name.